Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Today, I am so excited to be speaking with Kane Carroll. He is a teacher and author and leads courses in radical self-healing and embodied spiritual practice. His work is informed by years of in-depth study and practice of yoga, Qigong, Buddhism, Taoism, and classical Chinese medicine. And Kane has been a student of ageless wisdom traditions since childhood, as he began his formal training at the age of 13, and he has studied under the guidance of master teachers in India, China, Thailand, Nepal, Ecuador, Colombia, and the United States. Kane is also the co-creator of Innate Medicine, the new paradigm in healing with Dr. Josepha Rangel, who we actually did a podcast with before. And he is the co-founder of Clear Bright 5013C. Welcome, Kane. So happy to have you here today. Thanks, Nika. Happy to be here. I have so many questions that I personally would like to ask you after working with you for the last few months, but um, I'm not going to, you know, I'll have time to do those at another time. But I really do want to know, and I would love to hear your story, how you started training at such a young age. I'm very curious about that. Yeah. So my mother was my first teacher, my first spiritual teacher. And so I grew up in a household where I saw her practicing meditation and um, she was very open about her practice and very open about her explorations existentially. Um, and so from a really early age, we, we would have conversations about all of that stuff. And, um, you know, I, I actually say in, in a memoir that's, that's in process that it all started when I was about four and a half or five um, when I was in the bathroom with my mom getting ready for bed and we were like brushing our teeth and doing, doing the things. And I looked in the mirror and it just, it just struck me that the image in the mirror that I saw reflected back as, as my face wasn't congruent with what I felt internally as my, my being. And I just said mm -hmm. to my mom, I said, that's not, and I pointed at the mirror and I said, that's not who I am. And she just laughed and totally understood what I was implying. And she said, it's, it's right. There's, there's more to it. You know, that's not exactly what you are and who you are. And I, you know, naively was mom, well, then, well, what am I, you know? And she said, well, that's what you have to find out. Um, and then pan forward to, 13 and we had other conversations but you know I was a young child and pen forward to about 13 and I I remember her you know she would practice meditation on the couch she she practiced lying down and I would talk with her about it and I remember one time asking her you know as I was running around the house and playing you know am I distracting you and she said no no there's no there are no distractions everything is included and it didn't make a ton of sense to me at that point. But soon after that, I started at a Japanese cultural center that was in our town studying judo. And the Japanese cultural center was kind of the home base for all things um, traditional Japanese in the area. And there were um, a lot of Japanese families living in, in the area in Southern California. And so there were classes in flower arranging, and there was a very strong Zen Buddhist um, undertone to the whole thing. So meditation was a component of our judo training. 
So now I had the opportunity to practice meditation. And my mom had taught me her way of practicing meditation, lying down. And it was a somatic-based, um, presence-based meditation, very simple, focused on feeling through the body and sensing and being precisely where you are, um, which I had not been yet exposed to Zen. And so as I went to the Japanese cultural center and started studying judo and I was interested mostly in the martial arts and, and physical practice of the whole thing. But they started teaching us meditation as part of our training, um, sitting in seiza on the mats and in the kneeling position and a fair amount of bowing. And I really resonated with the ceremonial aspect and the spiritual undertone of the martial arts. And it, and it clicked with what my mom had been teaching me. Um, but somehow, you know, as kids, it's it's hard to think of our parents as as legitimate teachers of anything, right? So I actually needed to get that exposure from the sensei at, at the judo classes and from and actually from the older Japanese ladies who would teach the flower arranging classes. Sometimes they would be there before our judo class started, and I would talk with them and watch them clipping flowers and arranging. And the whole aesthetic of it had a kind of spiritual transmission to me through the flowers and through their what i what i perceived as beautiful um posture and alignment of the ladies as they did the flower arranging so the whole thing uh kind of served as this formal context within which i began to connect with these spiritual traditions traditions that i would then from that age on have an insatiable thirst for um, studying within. Um, so I did that uh, for all of my high school time from 13 all the way through graduating high school. So that by the time I graduated from high school and went off to college, I was really thirsty for learning more about all of the different spiritual traditions of Asia, both, you know, the Chinese Taoism, um, the Japanese Zen tradition, and then later the Chinese Chan tradition, um, and then later Vajrayana Buddhism in, in Nepal and Tibet, and then yoga in Nepal and India. So that that time, that, that first sort of um, contact with what I always felt was, was like my spiritual home base um, as, a, as a kid, and I just couldn't I couldn't find it anywhere in American culture, in in traditional American culture. I couldn't find it until I contacted, um, I contacted it that day at the dojo, and so I credit that as as the beginning of my formal training. And um, as you may know, you know, in the Japanese culture, there's a lot of tradition and a lot of discipline, and I I needed that as a 13 year old kid so the sensei was he was strict with us and we had to sit in stillness and we had to practice silence and and respect with each other while we learned martial arts with each other and so that really was the gateway that opens um opened my love for these practices i love that that's such a beautiful story and you're so lucky that you got to start that way i was I was when you were saying that I had this memory come up of when I was a child and I remember sitting there and I was home in my home and I remember feeling having this thought in my mind of I want to go home. And it was like this feeling of not being home and I when you were saying that it was it kind of resonated with me on and and my son has said that a couple times. 
um, when he was going to sleep, he's like, I just want to go home. And I think it's maybe that sense of when we're young and we want to find like the home within ourselves or that kind of spiritual connection that we don't have in our culture as much here as, you know, in China and, and Japan and India and places like that. And when you were talking, I was I, I was going to ask you something. So yesterday I was actually having a conversation with somebody that works for me and she was talking about her son and she was saying that, you know, he has a lot of energy and he's been, you know, the doctors think that he has ADD um, or ADHD. And I was just curious, what's your kind of thought about children, especially boys that have a lot of energy and how so many of them are you know, getting labeled or diagnosed with things like ADD and ADHD, if you have, if you have any thoughts or opinions on that. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you asked me about that. And and it's a topic that, that actually numerous people have asked me about, because especially people who knew me when I was younger. Um, so, you know, back, back then in the late 70s, there wasn't the diagnosis of, of ADHD, but I was actually diagnosed back then what was called hyperactive. And basically, I couldn't sit still in school. I couldn't concentrate, focus. Um, I, I, my parents would joke, you know, that the, that the longest thing I could read was like a, was the caption underneath a skateboarding photograph in Thrasher magazine. <laughs> And, and, and so I, you know, I was into everything physical. I loved skateboarding and BMX biking and martial arts and wakeboarding and water skiing and snowboarding. And, um, and, and, but I, I could not do the things that were required of me that were academic. And so I was always getting in trouble. Um, and so there, it's a, you know, it's funny now that I teach meditative practices and, and focus on stillness and contemplation a lot in my practice. And I love those things. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I felt very misunderstood by the school system and misunderstood by the doctors that were trying to take a crack at, at quote, diagnosing me, you know, figuring out what, what's the problem with this kid, as it were. Um, and I really see it as now, you know, and, and I, and I work with a lot of people, often families who have, you know, boys and girls who, who struggle with that. And frankly, a lot of adults struggle with it. And what I really see is that the, the expectation of, of sitting a child into a desk they show up at you know eight eight thirty in the morning and have to sit there until two two thirty in the afternoon, and utilize one little part of their intelligence, right? This discursive intellectual aspect, and they're supposed to memorize the things that that are being taught to them in the classes. And I think that that for many people, some people thrive within that environment, but I think for many people, it's way too early for that level of mental intellectual development and the physical emotional creative aspect of of their being and that was certainly the case with me was just bubbling over with energy and wanted to express itself and have an opportunity to be to be cultivated um, but that opportunity didn't exist within within and I went to public schools um, it didn't exist within the public school system outside of sports and theater and 
and um, you know, and music maybe. Um, so my parents, fortunately, my parents understood that, and they gave me a lot of opportunity to express myself physically. Um, but it was a big, it was a big problem all the way up until pretty much the end of high school. I was getting in trouble pretty frequently. I mean, I you know, not not with the law, but with the school. Just I was constantly getting sent to the principal's office and constantly getting labeled a poor student. And, you know, I've... That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, now I write books and I mean, I, I, I literally couldn't, couldn't read, let alone like write essays or something. I was barely passing my classes and mostly because if I didn't, I would get grounded. And if I was grounded, I couldn't play outside. I couldn't ride my skateboard or, or, you know, go to judo or, or ride my bike or play with my friends. And that was crushing to me. So I, you know, it, it left to my own devices. I, I wouldn't have gathered the mental focus to really be able to do well enough in school to, to pass because it wasn't actually, I didn't have an appetite for it. It wasn't actually interesting to me until college. And so it's like, I, what I learned was that every kid's full capacity of their intelligence will come online in its own time. And, and kids really need to be supported in a way that honors their own unique disposition and constitution and their unique way of developing and evolving. But all of all the different faculties will come online if they're fed, you know, nutrients, as we might say, that are interesting to them. Right. And so when I got into college and started studying history and literature and things from perspectives that were interesting to me my intellect woke up and then it became ravenous. You know, I, I, I'm reading like 10 books at a time, you know, from, from that time, from like 18 or 19 on, on forward, you know, but, but it's, it's a matter of, I think we need to, and I certainly needed that as a kid, we need to be understood on our, on our own terms each of us individuals needs to be understood on our own terms from the perspective of what is what is this individual's innate gifts talents like what do they need to be fed so that they can be nourished and then flourish and you know as we know and i think the school systems may be a little bit better now but back then it was just so much about standardization and and so yeah, yeah i had a really really hard hard time. And I probably, you know, if I, if I were growing up now, they probably would, I would get that diagnosis and they would want to, you know, medicate me. Cause I was, you know, from the teacher's perspective, I was out of control. <laughs> I can't even believe that. I mean, literally I, because when I, even when I was reading your bio, I was like, oh, he started his training at 13. So in my mind, I was like, oh, he's always been this Zen, like wisdom filled <laughs> guy from a young age. So that's really funny. And that's a good, I'm glad that makes me feel a little bit better. And I, ha I had that, like my son, I can't even put him in public school because um, of the same reason. Like he just is one of those kids that can't sit still and doesn't you know, thrive in that learning environment. And so it's like really, you know, figuring out what, what kind of, and a lot of kids do, but the kids that don't sometimes get, you know, labeled as troublesome or, um, you know, whatever. But I think a lot of those kids actually are really special kids and, and just don't fit into kind of that norm. 
Um, and but they have a lot of other gifts to offer. So it's it's really interesting. So in the podcast that I did with Dr. Wrangle from Innate Medicine, your your partner there, I would love to hear a little bit from your perspective how that came to be, how you came to be part of that practice and that um, creation of innate medicine. Yeah, there's some auspicious things that happened. So I was invited to teach classes on self-healing as a part of the Hawaii Yoga Festival some years ago. And so I went to Big Island and presented classes on healing neck and shoulder pain, and on um, pain-free joints, and on healing digestive troubles, um, three different courses. And somebody was there from Spirituality and Health magazine, uh, an article writer, reporter was there, and she wanted to take my classes and do an article about what what I was doing in, in these classes. So um, so she interviewed me and she had, she had had some neck and shoulder pain and joint troubles. And so she went through the courses and found some alleviation of her neck and shoulder pain and was really experiencing some benefits from, from the practices, um, movement practices, self-massage, meditative practices, and, and a good amount of reframing how we respond to different things going on in our life so that we reduce the emergency response trigger that tends to get stuck in the on position for a lot of us. Um, if we had difficult experiences, you know, growing up, we can have a, um, it can be easy to get that, that triggered so that we're in the sympathetic fight or flight response more frequently than we probably should be in everyday life. So we did a lot of work on that. And so her and I had good conversations. She ended up writing an article for spirituality and health. Dr. Rangel was taking that magazine um, back then. She read the article. We had never met. Um, and then she reached out to me. And so we had conversations about, about my perspectives on healing and the, the idea that essentially the body heals itself, the body mind heals itself. And it really need we need to feed the right conditions to to ourselves at multiple levels to allow the intrinsic healing capacity of the human body mind to, to operate. And so we had questions, she had questions about that, we had some really good discussions about it. And then I said, you know, I think, I think that there's something here, I think, I think we need to work together. There's some kind of combined work that might emerge out of this. Cause I had years, years before that I had decided not to go to medical school. And it was a kind of one of these moments where I reached a fork in the road. I had actually gone back to college to re to do pre-med courses. So I originally did my degree in intercultural communication and, um, and then I thought, I, I really want to be able to apply this kind of teachings in a more in a medical setting. So I went back, did another year of pre-med and was about to start med school. And I got this hit that that wouldn't be the best way to serve my my purpose, to sort of fulfill what I felt as my mission. And I didn't understand how I was to go about doing that part, especially in relationship to healing and medicine. But I flew to Thailand and 
studied with Taoist teachers and continued my journeys traveling in Asia. Um, but I always had this sense that I would somehow, and I was working with healing, but not in a medical clinical environment. So pan forward, you know, almost 15 years. And then I, you know, Dr. Rengel reaches out to me and I just had this hit that's like, huh, so she's the one who went through the traditional medical training and, you know, she did her medical degree at Stanford and then went on to do her integrative fellowship with Andrew, Dr. Andrew Weil. And so it just felt like this, something was there, you know? And so she said, well, why don't you, you know, come and, and see some patients with me and we'll see what's there. We did that a little bit. And then she said, I want to apprentice with you. I want to learn from your perspective, like how you're approaching all of this and in a kind of, you know, training. So we decided to do that within the context of seeing patients together. And there was seeing select patients in the beginning who we felt, you know, were, were right for a kind of work and, and could really benefit from it. Um, and so we, the two of us just jumped in and started working together. And, um, and then also doing this apprentice style learning, you know, lots of conversations after um, days of seeing patients and lots of um, getting into the nitty gritty of some of the foundations um, of, you know, because the foundations of my work are based in classical Chinese medicine, Indian yoga, Tibetan yoga, um, Taoist alchemy. And so those were principles that, of course, weren't a part of traditional medical training for an MD. So we had a lot of a lot of work to do in terms of giving Dr. Rangel an understanding of like where I was coming from, because we would work with a patient and I would ask questions and come with ideas that it was like, well, how do you think in those in those terms? So um, it was really interesting for me to to do it sort of, you know, on the job as it as it were talking about and looking at, at, at people and situations through the lenses of five elements, yin and yang, um, masculine and feminine energies, the idea of, of channels and nadis, and the idea of, of the connections between um, spiritual practice and ancestral inheritance and all of this. And, and Dr. Rangos had, had and has a, you know, insatiable appetite for all of that and how that connects with, um, you know, modern science and modern understanding of medicine. So we basically just, just jumped in together and immediately found that people were responding really well to, to the work um, and that we work really well together. I mean, it was just from the first patient we saw together up until now, it, there's just like this seamless connection between us and the way that we that we it feels like we cover more ground together when we work with patients in that way and so you know pen forward a few years and out of that is you know it's emerged this this new we could sort of say new but you know timeless paradigm of how medicine and spirituality and self-cultivation all operate together under under one under one roof um, and so that has become our, our work of innate medicine, um, and still emerging. We imagine 
you know, being able to train other practitioners and other other doctors and how how to combine those those aspects um, in a clinical in a clinical setting. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have been able to work with you guys and continue to work with you guys. And as I said in, in the podcast I did with her, I mean, it's just been uh, the biggest game changer for me of all the things that I've done, you know, in the past few years. And um, it, and I think it would be so amazing to have more practitioners that would be able to do that. And one of the things we talked about in the podcast, the other podcast was really this um, forgetting or this, I, I guess it's just really not part of Western medicine and it is part of Chinese medicine, but it's just that remembrance um, that our body does have the innate capacity to heal and to hear it from, I think, you know, from both sides, it's like, you know, you have Dr. Rangel, who's a Stanford trained medical doctor and you who brings the wisdom traditions. It's such a, a beautiful balance. But to be able to hear that, you know, most people, even when they go to get acupuncture or do functional medicine or, you know, other types of healing, um, to remind the person that they are capable of healing without, you know, they have that capacity. I think one time you said to me that our capacity to heal was many thousand times greater than our capacity to create illness in our body. And just those words of being reminded, it's like that, I think the innate knowing that we probably all have inside of ourselves, but we've long forgotten the reminding and the words are so powerful um, and the practices and, and, you know, the wisdom that you bring, um, it's like you have this ability to hone in on what and see from a multidimensional space kind of what is going on with a person and help them understand that because I get it's it's outside of the mind the the ego mind the ego mind's knowing um can you explain a little bit about your kind of perspective on innate healing and the body's ability to heal itself you know that that part that you said is this the the capacity for for recovery, regeneration, rejuvenation, healing within within the body is a function of the larger than human cosmos. And so I think I think a good place to start in answering that is is for us to pan out really wide. And first we have to remember that the human being is is an aspect of the larger tissue the unbroken tissue of life itself at, at every level. And the human being demonstrates the principles of nature in human form that are operative everywhere in the elementals like water and fire, in the plants and animals and fungi and, every, and, and everywhere. And so if we pan out that wide and we look at something like the seasonal patterns and we just go around the simple idea of seasonal patterns and we think about the if we start in the season that we're in now which is early early autumn and we start to understand okay in this season things will move toward falling right Fa leaves will fall off of the tree and that will happen of itself there won't be some sort of 
some sort of effort or some sort of medication or some sort of surgery that makes that happen. It will happen from within itself, from the movement of the pattern of time and space and relationship. Uh, and relationship of earth to sun and, and earth to moon and the angle of earth and all of it will all occur of itself such that the leaves will fall off those trees. They will fall onto the ground. And again, another natural process will happen of itself. Decomposition, composting will happen. And the nutrients that were locked in those leaves that were serving the purpose of photosynthesizing and giving energy to the tree will now have another function. They will break down and become this nutritive substance that goes back into the soil and soaks in and sinks in all through the winter. And that will all happen by itself. And there will be a regeneration of the soil through the winter and then in the springtime of itself will arise this new growing. And then we'll see the sprouting up of things coming up out of the earth, coming up through cracks in the concrete. So powerful are these sprouts, this new life. And that new life is new tissue, right? That, that tissue is vegetal. And it works exactly the same way in a human body with, with flesh, with, with sinews, with muscles, with blood vessels, with brain tissue, with lung tissue, with liver tissue. Um, and and it's, we can ask ourselves, where is that coming from? Is, that, is, is the doctor making those tissues grow? Of course not. Right? Is some kind of outside source, the supplements I take or something that of making that happen? Of course not. It's a function of nature. As long as we're eating and breathing, it's happening. And so this function of nature, this quality where things naturally break down, compost, re-nourish, spring up and become something else, is operative everywhere we look at every level. And so if we can... If we can notice that and tune into that, and through that lens, then begin to approach any one discipline, whether it's architecture or farming or medicine or education, now we're actually linked up with what I call universal principle. The unequivocal patterns of the natural world, which happen of themselves and can't be argued with, they're simply happening. And, and this is how, if we, if we stub our toe or cut ourselves, that that skin regenerates itself by itself. And if it's bad enough, you know, the doctor may, may, may sew it up, you know, and, and that's the moment where the doctor's job is finished. Right? They may check to make sure it's not getting infected, but they're not the one making the tissue regrow. That's a function of nature. And so this is what innate medicine means. It means that inherent within all living systems is not only the capacity to, but the unstoppable momentum of regeneration. And it's happening all the time, 24-7. In human beings, it operates most potently while we are asleep, while we are at rest. And here is where, here is where nurturing the qualities within our daily life that allow us to be in the rest and renew state, as we call it, getting good sleep, having good digestion, being able to have that downtime, taking naps, 
times of enjoyment when we're experiencing pleasure, all of these times allow more of the bioenergy in the human body and in the environment to go toward regeneration. But the regeneration is going to happen one way or another. It's just how can we support it and feed it? And this is where, you know, and I really credit Dr. Rangels is like when I decided not to go to medical school, I kind of turned my back on modern medicine with a, with a lot of frustration because I had had a lot of health conditions as a child and a lot of injuries from martial arts that that the conventional methods were not helping me at all with. And so Dr. Engel was the first doctor I ever met who had an open mind to be able to think differently. And that allowed the qualities of of this innate healing capacity to be able to be heard and seen and to show up and you know she always had the sense that 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 was a really important part of her of her function as a doctor but had struggled with the ability to find ways of accessing that or supporting that in the training in modern medical schools so it it was like this this connection that allowed for us to explore the what is it that supports that innate healing capacity in any one individual because there are there are some universal principles like everybody does better when they eat well digest and assimilate well and sleep well and feel a relative sense of safety in their lives so that their nervous system can can ratchet down and calm everyone seems to to benefit from those things but the question was like well this patient who's sitting in front of us how do they get into those spaces what foods are going to benefit them and then it becomes really this idea that each microsystem each each little environment has its own supports that will cause it to flourish microclimates if you will so gardeners know this right and so we approach it from this perspective of self cultivation and and this this is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of you know the innate healing capacity is happening within all of us so you could just sort of say well just leave, sort of leave it alone you know but what happens when we do that is we usually default back to the to the social conditioning and ancestral family conditioning that we're used to and a lot of that isn't necessarily conducive to supporting the innate healing response so we introduced the idea of that's what i was going to ask it's like i i love i mean everything that you're saying is it's so beautiful and rings so true to me and i've experienced it working with you um, at such a, a deep level and then i think well, you know, in our society, when you are, you know, if you're sitting and watching TV, you're watching commercials about if you get cancer, you could take this drug, or if you have depression, you know, this, this, you know, you could take this drug. And it's like, has really normalized sickness to a point where I think that instead of the majority of people in the United States thinking, oh, I have this innate capacity to heal. And this is like my body's birthright. It's more, it's the opposite. It's kind of, we created this culture that illness and like getting cancer is normal. And then there's this like, almost like an alignment to being like a survivor of a disease or um, 
this alignment in like having an autoimmune issue and where where people are trying to heal themselves or have healed themselves in a, in a certain way, but mostly through Western medicine that hasn't, that, that they haven't tapped into that knowledge or knowing that their body does have that capacity to heal. It's like this culture of illness. Like we've made it so normal that we're almost sitting around thinking, oh, it's normal, you know, if, if somebody has cancer or if somebody's sick. And I think especially like right now with what's gone on the last year with COVID, there's just so much fear um, out there. It's really been difficult to find the place of safety and knowing that our bodies are capable of healing. And, and so many people are stuck in the fear of death or the fear of, you know, getting whatever illness, you know, we're talking about. Right. So there's three, there's three principles that, that we look at in our practice and we're, we're looking very, um, closely at this and it's to understand and it's it, it it is a challenging thing and we invite all of our patients invite all the students who who do classes and courses with us to to really take significant amount of time to investigate this because it's not so easy to see but essentially what what we what we need to be able to perceive is the environment within which we have been habituated the old saying is the chickpea will take on the flavor of the broth within which it is boiled. This is an old, very old idea and poetically described in Sufi tradition and um, shared by, by almost every wisdom tradition that I have studied. And so the question then becomes what kind of broth, what kind of broth do we have going on here? And so in our culture, we want to look at, because we're all in it, right? We're, we all grew up in a particular cultural milieu. And so what's the flavor of that broth? And I've been asking this question and studying this since, since college and continue to um, keep, keep my eyes on it and study it. But there are three things that are, that are really central to human civilization in most of the world over the last couple thousand years. And the first one is the assumption of separation. And it, it, in my terminology, I call it dualistic fixation, fixated on the assumption that entities are separate from each other, that my body is separate from the earth and that a plant is separate from an animal and you and I are separate. And of course, this virus is somehow separate from us. And this becomes the initial lens that begins a whole cascade of ways of seeing that begin a whole cascade of ways of acting. So what, it, what we say is view begins the way that we do things. The way we see informs the way we act. So one of the primary views of our society is, is this sense of separation. We see that demonstrated in politics and medicine and education and in every field. As soon as you have the fundamental assumption that all entities are separate from each other, then things become mechanical and reductionistic. So we have dualism, reductionism, and a mechanical view of the world and of the human being. And these three form a lens with like three layers 
through which modern medicine has the tendency to look. And I, I can't say that every doctor is looking in that way, but the system at large looks through those lenses. And then and then we have an easier way of understanding what you were talking about, which is, wow, yeah, it's really easy to what we call pathologize, to pathologize people, not to look at the person themselves as an integral part of the living natural world, but to single them out, to single out the, the quote, problem that they have, give it a definitive name, and then provide a mechanical standardized response to that pathology, which dehumanizes the person, right? So some of the, you know, some of the disease names that you were, that you were calling out, you know, and again, like there's a place for every kind of treatment, if, you know, contextually with each individual, there's a relevance to pharmaceuticals and surgery, you know, like it's good that we have a broad spectrum of ways of addressing any kind of illness or imbalance. But the problem is the individual is perceived as separate from their environment, which of course they are not. It's simply, it's, it's one of the most toxic myths of our, of our, of our time. The individual is intricately connected to and dependent on their environment at every level. We know this. We're completely dependent on the earth and the waters and the airs, and and we're completely in intimate relationship with every living organism, from microscopic to to whales and and forests. Um, and and it's not a mechanical universe. You can't pull out individual parts and manipulate them and think that you can have an impact on the holistic well-being of any individual or any system because it doesn't work that way. The liver and gallbladder are totally dependent on the lungs, and the lungs are dependent on the mucosa of the nasal passages, and the lungs are dependent on the trees, and the trees are dependent on the air. And it just, in other words, the actual cosmos are are a complete living organism, and each individual thing is a cell of that one living organism. And so, by the time we get to the, like with the reductionism part. We now have the tendency to single out specific, you know, biofactors or specific ingredients within it, within a, within a plant. And, and we look through this microscopic view and we get down to some little thing that has a name, some little cofactor or some little illness. And in doing that, we lose the perspective of the actual human being. And at the level of the total human being, is where this innate healing capacity exists. It's at the level of our total existence integral with all of nature that the body heals and rejuvenates itself. And so it gets really tricky to navigate to navigate the language of modern medicine and modern education. And you could even say sort of modern science that is often disconnected from a more holistic understanding that's there in quantum thinking. Um, and so we're at this moment, a really important moment, and everyone's talking about it in every discipline. You know, we're talking about it from the perspective of medicine, but we could use the same terminology looking at sustainability or permaculture or regenerative farming. It's exactly the same conversation. Like what we do, you know, in, in those rows on a farm is cultivation. How can we look at that from a perspective, not of separation, but of holism? not of reductionism, but of looking at whole systems thinking 
And if this whole system is healthy, in other words, if the broth is tasty and healthy, then everything inside of that will be nourished and, and nurturing. And that's the view through which we're looking at how to address individuals. You know, we, we don't look at people through the perspective of their pathology. We look at human beings. And as you know, you know, we look at people within the context of their environment. So someone might have a lung, you know, they might have COPD, but I want to know what it's like in their house. I want to know what it's like in their office because the environment where that person finds themselves has a big impact on how their lungs are doing, right? And so we feel that this has been the view of all ancient wisdom traditions. And as you know, as uh, trained in classical Chinese medicine, of course, is the view of classical Chinese medicine and all of the arts that came out of the era. Um, and is the, is the view of, of wisdom traditions the world over. And so it's not new per se, but it is a new and exciting moment of how this timeless wisdom thinking and holism thinking can inform our modern understanding of medicine with all of its technologies. And so I think it's a really exciting time, but it's challenging because often patients come to us and they've, it's been hammered into them that, they, that they're not a person, they're their diagnosis, they're their pathology name. And like we talked about earlier with the kids, they're like, well, I'm this, I'm this attention deficit disorder. I'm not Johnny, you know, I'm this, this attention deficit disorder and something's fundamentally wrong with me. And that's how I'm being treated. And, and it's, it's like, no, you're having trouble concentrating and it may have nothing to do with you and it might not actually be a problem. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you were saying that, I was thinking, um, about the farming before you even mentioned, I was thinking it's, it's interesting because we are, you know, so connected to our surroundings and earth and the cosmos and all of that. And, and when I was, when you were speaking, I was thinking about, you know, like mono uh, farming and, you know, doing these mono crops and spraying crops with glyphosate or things like that and how it is so out of harmony with, regenerative farming or farming in a way where systems work together, you know, the animals go poop and, and the leaves fall and it creates this beautiful, healthy soil and how, you know, lots of people are living off of those foods that are, you know, sprayed with chemicals and grown in a way that are not natural to, you know, the way that they're supposed to be grown, like in regenerative or organic farming or systems farming. And, um, you know, when you're eating a lot of those processed foods, you know, and then you're watching TV and, you know, you're watching the news and it's enforcing all of this fear and this collective fear. And then you're watching the commercials about how it's so normal to be sick and take these medications. You know, that, that is where I see the culture of illness kind of rise from. It's like this way of all these different parts of being separated from the natural world. Um, yeah, and exactly. doing things in a way where you're taking out the parts. And and that's, you know, where, you know, we're like people talk about, you know, big food and big ag and big pharma. And, you know, all of those are just like taking out the parts and figuring out the cheapest way to grow, you know, a crop of corn or the cheapest way to, you know, 
create a medication um, for whatever illness that it is. And then once you take that medication for that illness, then you might need a couple other medications for the side effects that happen. And so it's this whole kind of system that we've created, you know, especially in the United States, you know, that I think that a lot of people understand, um, but it's really... I think that is the the perfect way to get into the fear mind state and, you know, live in illness and then where illness is going from like generation to generation. But that's what I love about your information. It's like people hearing this, it's like, we, you know, and I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner for many years and hearing your words and the way that you, you know, bring this about, it's just brought so much excitement to my life because I'm like, oh my God, yes. Like, I remember that this is so beautiful and so true and it's all around us. And it's like, you know, just, I think people being able to hear it is so inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. I, and I feel like it's, it's this moment where it's, that becomes the common ground. Like, so instead of this dualistic fixation, this, this separation, and then this, everything becomes mechanical, and then we reduce it down, we shift that the whole milieu to this sense of whole, whole systems, whole being understanding. And then what you're doing with food, you know, what's going on in the world of, of sustainable building and regenerative farming and regenerative animal husbandry. It's like, so it begins with this, this recognition of the underlying universal principles. And then with healing, with all of it, it can expand out to every aspect of human civilization. And, and it's sort of like everybody who's paying attention and really dropping in is, is finding themselves landing on this common ground and and it's it's an entirely different narrative it's not it's not arguing with an old narrative at all it just it's not even seeing through the same lens anymore and then we have access to all of to all of those things but we utilize them in a much different way you know we could yeah so it it's it's an exciting it's an exciting time i feel like there's this um mutual reflection going on between between people who are pioneering different fields you know yourself bringing your training in chinese medicine and 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 bringing that into that understanding into food culture and connecting with organic farmers and the whole the whole vision it 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 reflects a an understanding of how we are participating in and creating the whole the whole milieu so i see it as like just like we know when it when an area, i love to hike and backpack and there are often areas that get closed off right so this area can regenerate and and the trails are closed and i think of it as like we're sort of allowing for a regeneration of human culture through our interest in and commitment to working in this way in multiple different fields and in doing that the whole the whole forest of human civilization is 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 it's possible to go through a regeneration process and back to a sense of interconnection and cooperation and mutual support and mutual dependence on the total environment and for us you know working dr angle and i we're, we often have conversations with people working in in the farming aspect and in, in, in permaculture and sustainability 
And so there's this conversation going on about, we call it the earth body, right? It's like, well, the self-cultivation we do when people come to visit us are working with diet and self-care and self-massage and all that. It's exactly the same thing when you go out there and make choices on how you're going to work with the vegetables and the fruits that you're growing. And it's like exactly the same thing. And we need to look at human body and farming in exactly the same way. And all of a sudden, we it's one, it's one view. And it's much easier to see wholeness when we're looking through that lens versus like, you know, because what we saw in the past, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I would see people show up for conferences on sustainability and permaculture and like, and be all about taking care of the land, but not so much on taking care of the body mind. <laughs> right. And then right. I would, yeah. you know, it's like, wow, there was like a disconnect, you know, and, and now I see that disconnect starting to shift as starting to see people really getting the importance of how it all connects. Um, and I think that's a really exciting a really exciting time. Yeah. It's even like, I was thinking it's like when somebody is like so many of us get so busy and our adrenals, you know, people are like, Oh, I have adrenal burnout. And it's like, instead of really telling the person, okay, well, this is your body's way of telling you, like, you need to rest and you need to sleep and you need to slow down. It's like, take some adrenal supplements and, you know, and then maybe go to bed before 10 and maybe reduce your caffeine intake. But really, it's like, what is your body trying to tell you? Like you actually need to, it's like, you know, what you were saying about the regeneration on the trails. It's like your body's trying to tell you like this trail, it needs to rest and it needs to rejuvenate, not keep going and try to supplement it with like caffeine or something that's going to stimulate it more. And it's kind of the way um, a little bit functional medicine works. It's like, what can we take to keep on going rather than like slow down and listen and be okay to you know, change our ways of being or look at our, you know, what, how we, what we do in the morning or the afternoon or the evening, or, you know, like you were saying, like living in harmony with nature, like rising with the sun and going to sleep with, you know, when it gets dark outside and, and following the suits of nature, um, which, which I love so much. Um, and I wanted, I know we're, we're almost an hour, but I want, there's so many other things I want to ask you about trauma and all of that, but maybe we can do another podcast in the future on that. But for people that are listening today, we're, you know, this might be a new um, philosophy or a new way of thinking. What are some, like a few simple things that people can do or that you can share um, to live more in harmony with nature and to listen to their bodies a little bit more and, and find more balance in their lives? Yeah, so the three pillars, it, it's a great question. And I'm constantly asking that, that question, like, what are what are the most important things and the, the areas we can get the most traction? And so there, these are the three pillars, eat, move, sleep, eat, move, sleep. So within our 24 hour cycle, we have these biorhythms that arise naturally they are what I call appetites. Um, and it's the idea that there's a kind of yearning for, a kind of hunger for these three things, eating, moving, and sleeping. And we, we encourage people to go through a process of 
starting a fresh relationship with eating, moving, and sleeping, because these three things have been habituated, right? We, we sleep based on a schedule, based on clock, based on, you know, as kids like school and adults work and things, and then food operates around some kind of external schedule or, you know, what we should be eating and then exercise, you know, we're imprinted with how we should be moving and what exercise should be from gym class. And so starting fresh in an exploration of eating, moving, and sleeping is the most direct and simple way to reset our connection with our intrinsic appetites. And we begin to understand our experience through our relationship with what we eat, how we nourish ourselves, what we eat and drink, how we move our bodies, and how we sleep. And what happens when we do that is that our innate intelligence comes more online. It's a quiet voice. Innate intelligence is not screaming. It's not data coming at your face, you know, from the screen and entering your intellect. It's quiet somatic information. It's felt experience. It's not learned. So what we've found, and you know, you, you and I have studied food like for our whole life. You know, I've studied like every diet. I've tried every kind of diet philosophy and every kind of diet since I was a kid because I had my own health challenges. And what I found is it's it boils down to eat what you can digest. Well, how do I know what I can just digest? Well, I have to pay attention to the whole process in my relationship to food, selecting food, cooking it, chewing it, eating it, digesting it, assimilating it, and eliminating it. I have to be in touch with the food and the whole process all the way through. And when I do that, there's ways of knowing that could never be learned. They're not in any book. They're not in any, you know, any diet fad. And it's the same with exercise. It's very different than like mm -hmm. learning a yoga pose, for example, and doing it exactly the way we saw it on the cover of a yoga magazine or something versus moving our body and feeling and understanding how to open, how to loosen up tight areas, how to breathe. It all comes from inside. And then with sleeping, how much sleep do I need? When should I go to bed? When to wake up? You know, these things all come as I relate to my own tiredness. Like you said, if I'm tired, maybe I should close my eyes and drop into that yin time, that downtime versus like drinking the extra cup of coffee or something. So the invitation I would make to the listeners is to reclaim our relationship to eating, moving, and sleeping. And it's, it is not easy because we've learned to take the information from the outside as some kind of, some kind of expert or some kind of knowing that we should conform to and follow in relationship to these things. But I find that that, that did not serve me. It doesn't serve most of the patients that we work with and most of the students that I work with. And where I see people connect with their own innate heating capacity at a at a you know quantum level is when they start through these three and then continue on in many other ways but this is like the foundation they're so powerful because you know when you look at kind of what's going on like in the biohacking community for example um, and just living a busy lifestyle. It's like, you know, people are like, oh, I'm doing intermittent fasting or I'm doing like a keto diet or I'm doing a low carb diet or whatever it is. 
all of these diets are so out of harmony with our bodies because it's like the same thing as taking, you know, like doing the mono crop farming or, you know, looking for that one piece that might change that one metabolic piece, you know, in your cell in your body. And then the same thing with moving, people are like doing this exercise that's so intense and it's like so hard on the body. And it's like all of these things with biohacking and diet and these fads, you know, are all taking us away from like our innate wisdom and understanding and like kind of nurturing of the body. It's like, I'm going to starve myself, you know, and maybe for some people, I'm not saying it doesn't work for everybody, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm going to starve myself for 18 hours and then eat this huge meal. Like that's not nourishing and really being kind to our bodies. You know, that's kind of like forcing something that's really not natural. Um, and this, and so these are, it's so interesting. Cause like when we were first talking about these, when I started working with you guys, these are things that are, that we all have to do to live, like eat, sleep and move. But we've gotten so out of alignment with these. And that's why I always say with food, when people ask me about food, I'm always like, I'm not into any diets or fads. Like I'm into eating beautiful, colorful fruits and vegetables that we've been eating since the beginning of time. And some people might eat more cold foods or more warm foods or whatever it is, depending on where they live and their constitution. Um, But just like being in harmony with like eating, sleeping and moving without having to control and force our bodies to do these things. Um, is so important. But like you said, it is difficult because we're, we're in these, um, we get stuck in these different thought forms of what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to, or how we're supposed to do it to like lose weight or whatever it is our goal, our health goals are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you and I had talked in the past, just like in our own struggles of like growing up with certain ideas about supplements and food and like how to like, so yeah, I mean, it, this, these are things that it's not it's not easy to to go direct, but it's so worth it, and I just encourage everybody to do that, and 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 it's a big part of my practice too, constantly refreshing and resetting relationship to to eating, moving, and sleeping in in a way that feels because it changes through the phases of our life, you know, and there's new information and Mm -hmm. there's new things like, oh, wow, should I be doing that? You know, should should I be doing intermittent fasting? Maybe if it comes from an inherent appetite within to just simply not eat because there isn't what what we call legitimate hunger in that frame time, that time frame in the morning, but like, but not as an idea from the outside. And so I just think it's so it's so important for us to have a direct intimate relationship with eating, moving and sleeping. That's based on our own physical body-based experience and that that's where the wisdom is. I, I, I think it's, it's so important to reclaim that. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, as, as we encourage our patients to like, well, you tell us, you know, we're not going to give you like the perfect diet. Let's try this and that. And you tell us, you know, so the doctor, the practitioner, the coach, they learn to listen more because the intelligence of the individual, the deep wisdom of the individual is, is allowed to shine forth and speak in a, in a voice that is somatic. And then we all learn from that. And I think to me, that's, that's revolutionary. Like that's the revolution right there. That's the return to nature and the wisdom of nature. Exactly. It's the thought of like being able to go to the doctor and express what's going on with you and be held in that without 
telling you, oh, okay, we'll take this pill and we'll take away the symptom. It's like, wow, go back inside of yourself and find your innate wisdom and remind your body and remind yourself that it is capable of healing and it is capable of, of being in harmony with nature and living in harmony with nature and finding its, its rhythm because we do live in that rhythm with nature. And that's something that I was so gratefully reminded by uh, through working with you and Dr. Rangel. And I'm just excited to share this information because it's so simple, but so complex and something that I think most of us have just forgotten in our busy lives. And, and right now it's so important with what's going on, you know, in the world to find that rhythm and, um, and, and be able to find the, remind your body that you can heal, that you are capable of healing, that you're not just at the mercy of, you know, everything that's going on around you. And, and just that simple thought is a huge thing for people, I think. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much. There's so many other things that I want to talk to you about. Um, so hopefully we could do another podcast in the future, but um, thank you so much for your incredible yeah, your incredible wisdom and the work that you do and just bringing this information um, to more people. Um, I'm sure our listeners are going to be very grateful. So thank you so much, Kane. Yeah, it was really a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Nika. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika, and I'm wishing you a beautiful day.